Inside the halls of American hospitals, millions of people find comfort, healing, and support. But for many doctors and nurses, this couldn't be further from the truth. This podcast will dive into the shadows of American healthcare to investigate and uncover the abuse, control, and political power plays that leave the very people responsible for our nation's health broken and battered. We're sharing stories of professionals in medicine that have experienced horrendous treatment at the hands of a broken system that does nothing to stop the trauma. As the Association of American Medical Colleges states, long before the Me Too movement, women in medicine have instinctively banded together to counter a culture that too often tolerated harassment. From systemic trauma to abusive power to the unspoken rules of cover-ups and corruption, Mandy, Irby, and Pinky will take you to the darkest corners of healthcare in America so you can have an inside look at bringing humanity back to medicine. Sensitive content warning. This podcast will share details of triggering subjects such as sexual assault and workplace violence. So if you aren't in a space to listen, respect your mental health and tune in again at another time. Hey, y'all, and welcome back to another episode of the Pulse Check Podcast. I'm Hehe, And I'm Mandy. And today we have our friend Maddie on to talk about toxic work environment, hospital hierarchy, gaslighting, and she actually recently left the bedside. We're going to dive into that journey. She is an RN and she's going to be sharing what made her leave the hospital. We're so excited to dive into this. So Maddie, welcome to the show. Thank you. Hi, guys. So, yes, I recently left bedside labor and delivery nursing after seven years. That's the only thing I've known up until this point in my life. So lots of feels about that. It was just this Yeah, summer. like a couple weeks ago, like two weeks oh. ago. Fresh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, pretty fresh. So I'm going to a clinic that does eye surgery, which is like a total 360. So, but what prompted all of this was just three and a half years of working in a super toxic work environment. Mm -hmm. And I think the worst part about it was we were trying to change it and nothing was happening. So we eventually had a meeting with actually a director that wasn't even our own director and some HR staff and higher ups and stuff like that, where they told us that if we had to work four days a week to get the schedule covered, then that's what we had to do. And they didn't care because the schedule was going to be covered because, you know, managers apparently don't work the floor anymore. And so I quit that job and actually tried another labor and delivery job. And I just felt like I'm kind of broken right now. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Dumping. Sorry. No, I love it. I love it. I love it. (laughs) Don't be sorry at all. I want to like, what is all of this? You went to another local like near you or did you travel? It was about an hour away, but it was another per diem job. That was just part time working when I felt like working. When you were on the unit, your toxic OG, and you were like, where would I go? Where would I do this? I think this nurses that outside of LND listen to the podcast, but as everyone knows here, he and I are birth workers and based in LND, at least on LND, the way we felt, I felt my coworkers felt was like, oh my God, where could I do this anywhere else? This is not mm-hmm. the same as like a med surge unit. This is not the same as ICU. And I think ICU nurses would say the same thing about L&D. They're like, a nurse is not just a nurse, a nurse, a nurse, a nurse. Like we have 
very specific skill sets and very specific passions and very specific reasons why we choose certain patient populations. And they're not interchangeable as much as I think like the outside looking in, people are like, oh, you're a nurse. You're like, well, I'm a labor and delivery nurse. I'm not, I'm not gonna be able to diagnose your mole or your oozing or something like that. And I think the same thing, like, oh, you're a nurse on the airplane, a baby's coming out. They're like, not that kind of nurse. <laughs> so when you're looking and you're like, what am I going to do with my passion? You're like, okay, I could go an hour away and try that. And so how long were you there? About six weeks. Orientation. Yeah. So orientation. And I just went every day feeling sick to my stomach. I dreaded it. I hadn't done a delivery in about two and a half months. And I was like, I don't really miss it. Something's not right. (laughs) Oh, so yeah. So I just messaged my manager and told her I wanted to chat. And so I called and I told her all of that and she was fine with it. She completely understood, but I feel like all of this is a product of what I dealt with Mm. the other place, like just kind of breaking me down, breaking my spirit, feeling like I didn't have the authority to make change. You didn't have the authority to make change. Mm-hmm. So I want to back up to something that you said earlier. You made a comment that said, we were trying to change the culture. Who's we? Was it you and all of your colleagues? Were all of your nurses feeling the same way and management just wasn't listening? What did that look like? So we did all the feel the same way. A lot of us are more outspoken than others. I was probably mm-hmm. the most outspoken. So I was usually the spokesperson for everybody's feelings, but some other people were kind of scared to back that up a lot of times. And so it kind of fell to me to do it, but we all as staff were in a good place together. We just needed everything else to be in a good place around us. And we, we couldn't make it happen. We just, we would try and try and try and try and try. And it was just so toxic from management to interdepartmental issues to all kinds of things. And we, we couldn't fix it. We were powerless no matter what we said or did. Like what, is there an example that you could give us that you guys had gone to management for and you just like beat yourselves, you know, your head against the wall until you were blue in the face and saw no progress. Besides that four day work week, like gaslighting. (laughs) Yeah. I absolutely can. So at this hospital, we had lots of problems with surgery, which in labor and delivery, that's kind of a big deal because that is the only department you work with on a regular basis for the most part, as far as nursing wise goes. We were never priority. Stat sections would be called and we'd wait 30, 45 minutes, call for an epidural, wait an hour. We had little walkie talkies that we picked up to like page anesthesia that we needed them. And they would be like, for what now? And so I actually wrote a nine page paper that went to admin and the hospital board. And I literally never heard anything about it. Like nobody cared. Here we are with our jaws dropped, but we like, (laughs) this is an example evidence of feelings that so many people in and around healthcare and they know it's there. They feel like no one cares. They feel this abandonment, this institutional abandonment of saying one thing over here and then really prioritizing profit, bottom line, keeping physicians in. So they bring in, you know, certain specialties, they prioritize certain specialties that, that kind of runs under 
everyone's like, I guess like backseat radar in hospitals, there's kind of like a hierarchy of what brings in the most money and therefore the hierarchy of how everyone in that certain, those certain levels are treated, even though every unit is necessary inside of a hospital. It seems like it's everywhere where you're feeling like you're not being heard, but you are just giving an, like a very tangible example of, I told you and you ignored it. And you, that was pages of examples, pages of how the staff was feeling. It was just like your, your thoughts about what could be improved. What was on there? All all of the above. So it started out. So what, what actually tripped my, my final wire before I, I'd actually had that typed up for a while, but what tripped my final wire was in the middle of the night, I was laboring one of my coworkers and we ended up needing to have a a pretty urgent C-section for the baby. And so it took forever. And I'm just like, y'all, this is one of ours. If you treat your own people like this, you don't care anything about people that aren't your people. Like she is our nurse. This is her baby. So that just, that just did me in. And I sat right there and I typed that up and I gave it to my boss. So it included examples like that. It included stuff I had heard CRNAs say at the desk. So Mm -hmm. one on this particular night stood at the desk and said, one of these days I'm going to be sitting in court and have to say that X, Y, Z happened because the OB nurses weren't adequately trained. So I was doing my job and you're standing at the desk driving about how you're going to have to go to court instead of saying, Hey, Madison, help me get this patient rolled back for a C-section. And before the circulator gets here and we can get going, like I can do those kind of things, but we need some teamwork. And so I put all that stuff in that letter and talked about how I know OB is not a moneymaker. It's not a moneymaker anywhere. I don't think, I don't know how it is with states. Isn't that funny? We know that. Yeah. Like I know we have 10 care and we get paid X amount of dollars for every delivery and that's all we get. But our OBs refer out, they refer to urology for vasectomies. They do GYN surgeries that do make money. And so you have to look at that when you are so toxic to one area that you are running people off staff, patients, all that kind of stuff, you have to think about the lasting impacts of the referrals and the pediatrics that they refer to that are owned by this hospital. The hospital basically has a monopoly in the area and they own the peds clinics, the ortho clinics, the GYN clinics, they own pretty much everything. So you kind of have to, you have to look at the lasting impacts of all of that. And so I explained all of that in my letter. And like I said, I just never heard anything back from anyone. They acted like it was never received. So tell us how this impacted patient care. You mentioned, you know, patients leaving. Did you see that often? Were patients also being disrespected straight to their face by anesthesia or surgical department? Were patients complaining about their experience? What were you seeing? How was patient safety impacted by this? I'm I'm so curious and want to dive into where did this feud and this tension and this hatred between OB and anesthesia or surgery come from? Is it top down? Is it on the unit level? Like where did this stem from? So it's, it's a very systemic issue. It stems from the top down because it's been going on for so long at that hospital before I ever started there. 
and nobody's done anything about it. So it just keeps on, but patient safety is definitely impacted by it. You're looking at a longer time from decision to incision for your C-sections. And that can mean, you know, time is brain with your babies, because if they are not oxygenating properly and there's an issue, you can certainly have big problems in the reason that prompted me to write this letter because we had to resuscitate my coworker's baby. Yeah, that's not okay. And I know it happens. I'm prepared for those things to happen because that's my job and that's what I'm trained to do. But when we can not avoid when it. it's caused by, you know, your fellow colleagues just in a different department, that's totally mm-hmm. unacceptable. Yeah. And I keep hounding on this situation because it's one that really sticks with me because it was close close to my heart, but that was pretty consistent across the board for problems. I mean, even if we had scheduled C-sections, if we had them ready to go at the exact moment, there was something that surgery was standing at the desk complaining about. And patients can hear that. So they know that there's a little bit of a riff and, you know, they can feel the tension when we come in the room together, if we're not cohesive. So you saw that a lot between us and surgery, for sure. I actually one of the CRNAs actually was hateful to me at the desk and my patient heard it. And I came in there and the patient's significant other said, does he always talk to y'all like that? It undercuts your ability to care for someone because you're taking shit from a coworker at the desk because it's inappropriate to be shit talking at the desk. And so what do you do? Do you talk back like you would if you were in the parking lot or at a barbecue? Do you talk back if you were, if I'm holding a white claw and someone walks up to me and says some shit like that, I'm going to be like, oh, I would love to go. Let's go. Let's get it out. Whatever's going on. Like, let's get it out so we can just get it out. You're not going to hash it out at the desk. You're trapped. It's like an abusive relationship. They're like throwing this little thing at you in front of people, it's bullying, it's inappropriate, it's unprofessional. And then what do you do? So then if you talk back, you're in trouble, you look worse, you've made it bigger, you've messed up your morning even more. Alternatively, you push it down, you resent them, you resent everybody, you're angry, you need to rehash out, hash it out later, but you probably don't because your work, 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 like there's not enough time. There's not enough people. It's more expensive therapy for later and something you have to deal with on your own. So then you push it down you walk into a room and your patient's like, well, now we've got the pushover nurse, or now we've got the asshole CRNA, or can my team work together and keep me safe? Because they've obviously got other things going on. Mm -hmm. And it's not the best time to show your humanity to your client when it's an argument like when my humanity came out and I was like hey I gotta go pump for my baby they're like oh shit you have a baby you pump that's kind (laughs) of like my kids seeing their teacher at the grocery store they're like you eat I thought you lived at the school what are you doing same thing with (laughs) nurses and sometimes and doctors they're like very professional and we keep this barrier between everyone because you know, we can't insert ourselves in their story. And then they hear us bickering. Yeah, there's a whole lot wrong with that. And it sounds like moral injury. Now, I'm not here to diagnose you, you know that. But when you're witnessing harm done to someone, 
either in your care or someone you care about. And for you, that was a double double whammy. It sounds like you cared for your coworker and you were caring for your coworker. <laughs> Shit. I think we use that word in the wrong way in nursing. And you couldn't do the best job. Like you knew what needed to be done and couldn't do it because of systemic failures. That can cause a traumatic stress in you. It can be identified as moral injury because it is like something out of your control, but you knew what needed to be done and you knew you could do it if you had the ability within your system. And it can also be trauma. So it can also come back and sit with you as this important moment because it's undone. It's it's kind of stuck with you. And it sounds like this really important moment for you. Yeah, it was definitely a defining moment, not only in my career, but in that in that facility as yeah. well. And I felt like I took the proper steps to try to do my best to correct it and got nothing in return. And so I think that's what's even more damaging. Mm -hmm. You do what you're supposed to do, but you can't fix it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So three and a half years of trying to fix things that I don't have the ability or am not given the authority to fix. Well, that's what it is. Not given the, you're not given the autonomy and the authority to actually fix the things that you could fix. And that's super unfortunate because, you know, nurses make up such a large piece of the healthcare force that nurses have a ton of power. They have to be empowered to be able to make those moves. All right. I have a question about comparing the units that you worked on. So it sounds like this problem and this culture, I know every unit's going to have their own culture, but it sounds like this particular hospital just really was like struggling on their LND unit from the LND culture to the relationship with surgery. It doesn't sound like that was your experience with your first hospital. Talk to us about that. How was your entrance into LND? So my entrance into LND, I started at a super small hospital. We were just a little bitty six bed LDRP with a level oh one nursery. So we served a lot of this low income. We had a lot of the Mennonite and Amish population in the area that would come to us for care. And I started in here as this little bitty baby nurse. I just graduated. I knew absolutely nothing. And they scooped me up and they loved me and they nourished my intellectual abilities and grew me into this labor and delivery nurse that I didn't know that I could be, honestly. Some of my best friends were there with me that we've carried on, you know, through to this new facility that I've left from now and even into life. We've been there for each other through births, through deaths, through life changes. And the family atmosphere in this small hospital was amazing. I can remember one time specifically at my first hospital that something had happened. I needed help turning a patient with an epidural. Like we had had her in hands and knees or something and I needed to get her back, but I couldn't find a coworker to help me because we usually just staffed two nurses. So I called med surge and I was like, guys, I need some help. Somebody came right over to help me get my patient flipped back over. You don't get that most places. We had surgical staff that worked very well with labor and delivery. I mean, we had our own issues sometimes, but it was nothing compared to 
what I've been experiencing the last couple of years. Um, the CRNAs were the best. I trust, I would have trusted them with my life. I had my baby there. It was just so different. And so when I took that mindset and moved to this new hospital, I thought I can change it here. We can change it here. There was enough of us that went together. We can make it better, but we couldn't because we weren't allowed to. Isn't it funny how that hierarchy just beats you down until look what happened to you. You literally quit. You said, I just cannot take this anymore. It's, it's like literally eating me from the inside out. So I used to be in school. I used to be in education, early childhood education. And it's actually what led me to be in birth work is because working within the school system and answering to the state for things, it just, it ate me alive. I could not change the system and families are paying the price. So it's hard when you go in with so much just gump and so much like energy and, and like, I can change this. And then the system beats you down. Yeah. So and it's constant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it, it sounds like lateral top down, like mm-hmm. all of it, other units, your, your coworkers, your management, your upper levels above them. Like it's like feels impossible. And chronic Mm -hmm. because you said you're broken, broken spirit. That place left me broken. It was toxic. That chronic toxicity, like we're in healthcare. We know that ain't good. Can you tell us now your transition? So when folks are like, yep, 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 yep. I can identify that. I can relate. I'm tired of it. Feel it in my body. I'm having all of these things that are happening from the toxicity, from the chronic abuse, from the mistreatment and bashing your head up against the ceiling of, you know, this huge system or these systems aren't changing in ways that you can work within. What's, what's been your transition? Like now, how are you healing? I think getting away from the bedside was going to be the first step. So, like I said, this is all still very new for me because I haven't, it's just been like the last two I think two weeks ago, I think is when I finally was like, I can't do this anymore. So really looking internally and like saying, I asked myself lots of times, like, what, what's wrong with me? Why do I feel like this? Talk to my husband about it. And he was like, you, you can do something different. You are a nurse. You can find something that you will enjoy for a little while. And, you know, with the birth world, it's, unpredictable. You never know what's going to be thrown at you that day. When I show up to work, I don't know if I'm going to be taking care of sick babies in the NICU. I don't know if I'm going to be laboring because we did it all. We staffed LDRP, our well baby nursery and our level two NICU. So (laughs) I'm just going to take a minute right there and be like, that is a lot of responsibility. (laughs) A lot of that. Yeah. So I never knew what I was going to be doing that day. And I feel like I need some routine and I know in the nursing world, it's hard to find routine at the bedside. So that's kind of what led me to this little clinic, which I had applied to it before I started the six week orientation after I quit my toxic job, but I never heard from them. But then I just heard from them right at the right time, I think. And so that kind of 
opened up a door I didn't know I had because I was just going to quit anyways and not have a plan, which was fine. (laughs) Sometimes no plan is okay too, but this kind of fell in my lap. And there's some people working at this clinic that I worked with in labor and delivery. And so I've got, I know I've got some of my little baby nurses there with me. And I say baby nurses because I, I like grew them, trained them. (laughs) So obviously they didn't work out for them either. They were at this other facility as well. And they've since left and they're at this little clinic. And so it'll be nice to kind of be back with some familiar faces and do something routine. You literally bring people in, throw them some PO Valium, send them to the OR, do some vitals and walk them to the car. 40 times a day. They do like 40 eye surgeries. That's crazy. So it's fast paced enough that I'm not going to get bored. Yeah. But also I know what I'm doing every day. (laughs) I can walk in and say, this is what I'm doing. And they're like, yep, yep, yep. And then, yep. And then, yep, you got it. You nailed, yep. That's your whole job. And then times 40 and you're like, and that's it. (laughs) And you're not going to add on 80 more patients by surprise. Anyone coming in by ambulance? Okay, I'll take it. <laughs> it's just like the opposite of where you came from. Like, yes. How many times do you catch on fire all week? How many times does shit hit the fan? And they're like, None. what shit? You <laughs> work with eyes. <laughs> yeah. I literally like, can't fly in here. <laughs> I mean, like, it's not life it. and death here. Right. You mean it's not life and death? Could I kill I anyone? Can do that. Right. <laughs> oh, God. Or coworkers. Have you added any of like coworker to coworker head to head? They're like, no, ma'am, I'll take it. Yeah. It sounds beautiful. So yeah, I was just like, uh, sounds like what I need. I literally got the job offer the next day and called my manager at the hospital that I've been working at and just chatted over with her, told her how I was feeling and all that stuff. And that's kind of how it evolved. And I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. I actually haven't started there yet. Okay. They had joint commission coming this week, so it's not a great time to start new people. So I'm going to start after Labor Day and I'm excited. I'm heartbroken, but this is a step to f- fixing the brokenness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maddie, when you told your supervisor about quitting, you said she was okay with it. Did she see it coming? Did she say she was sorry to see you go? Did she say, I understand? Or was she kind of like, well, this is just kind of par for the course. I'm wondering how disposable she made the position feel when you had let her know you wouldn't be continuing. At the most recent, like at the six, the one where I did a little six week stint, is that what you're talking about? Or the first one? How about both of them? Okay. So Actually, so a whole nother can of worms here. When this meeting that prompted me to quit my toxic work environment happened, my actual manager was on FMLA. So she wasn't even there. We were being talked to like dogs from a manager from a different unit. She had no business even being in this meeting. I'm not sure why she was there. Cute. Yeah. So I actually, this meeting was at night. I typed up my letter that day before I left the meeting and turned it into my manager's box because she had a little box on her door. So I put it in there and I text one of my coworkers and I said, Hey, I put my resignation letter in this box. 
can you please take it to someone tomorrow? HR, the other manager that was in the meeting, someone needs to get it so it doesn't affect my notice. I want to make sure I'm given proper notice. I don't want to burn bridges, whatever. So I went home just distraught. I'm talking to my husband. I was like, I can't go to work tomorrow. I can't. Because this meeting, when I spoke up, nobody had my back. My coworkers didn't have my back. And so I was like, I can't go to work. I was scheduled to work the next two days. I called in sick, which probably shouldn't have done looking back, but it, I needed mental health days. I couldn't, I couldn't Why have gone Why shouldn't work. you have done that? Because of money? Oh, no. They ended up letting me go. I didn't have to work out my notice because of sick. calling in. Toxic. It's and not refused to pay me unemployment. In. It's not because of calling in. It's because you have brown hair. It's because you drive a white... It's not because you called in. Yeah. They didn't want to deal with your shit from the beginning. They didn't. You talked They didn't want to hear from me. They didn't want to hear from you. And that was probably like, whew, we didn't have to tell her if she's not going to work, if she doesn't want to be here, then she doesn't have to. And you're like, I literally don't want to be here. I literally don't want to be here. I'm not going to be here. I'm going to take my sick day. We have been told that sick days are bad. We have been told, don't take your PTA. We've been told, prioritize the family unit. People need you. Blah, 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 blah. They did not let you go. They like relieved you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was like best case scenario. Okay. If it's not about the money, then it, then why are we working? <laughs> right. Right. It should be about the yeah. money or go to hell. It's their business. They yeah. can figure out how to cover the sick people that they decide mm-hmm. to do business with. Mm-hmm. And if they can't, they have to decide how to handle that situation. Just like if a cupcake business gets too many cupcake orders. Oh shit, what do we do? Do we hire somebody else? Do we tell them we can't make cupcakes anymore? Same thing. You can't. That is an example of, to me, speaking about you, which I don't have any business doing, might sound like an example of they had you believing certain things for so long that it's so ingrained that they, that you took it, you, you internalized it as your fault mm. from the outside looking in from what you're saying. That sounds spectacular. <laughs> if it wasn't about the money, right. if it wasn't about the money. If you were like, I fucking needed the $1,500 that I was going to get or the whatever, $2,500 that I was planning on getting in the next 30 days. That's, that's some bullshit, right? I would be like, Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm glad things worked out for you. You know, you got the six week hospital B situation hooked up pretty quickly, but that would have been really scary if you needed that money. If it's not about the money. Oh my God. Don't take that in as like, I shouldn't have taken my sick day. (laughs) That's literally what the mental health day is Mm. or a sick day or whatever you want to use it for. Yeah. So they told me since I didn't work out my notice by calling in sick. Now, granted, I gave a four week notice for a specialty area. And so they're like, you didn't work out your notice. And PTO, right? Well, PRN. So I didn't have PTO. Oh, so you had sick days. That's fine. I'm not the expert, but I still think if you're allowed to call out sick, then you technically work the day. Even if you called out sick every single day within the policy of your sick, up until I think that you still, it's considered working out your time. Yeah. Well, they didn't see it that way. And so of course the funny thing is 
my manager is not even the one that called me to tell me not to come back. She was back from FMLA at this point. It was like a week later because the way I was scheduled, I usually tried to have a big stretch off or whatever. So my manager didn't even call me and I have not heard from her a single time since I left. Low blow. It was the other manager that was in the meeting that had no business being there that called me. How does that make you feel? I haven't thought about a word for how that makes me feel. I was angry. I'm still angry. Totally. Because I actually talked to somebody that quit right after me and the manager personally called her to ask her why she was quitting. And she had worked there for three months to my three and a half years. Okay. You know, that's like, that's how it works, right? Like they just spent a bunch of money on that. This again, talking about something I don't know anything about. They did just spend a bunch of money on that person's orientation. And so that financially from a business perspective would be worse for them to lose all of that investment so quickly, then they already wrote out your (laughs) investment, Uh not emotionally. Like we're talking, we're not talking about people. We're talking about the cupcake factory, right? You're like, we're like, okay, fine. We are going to have to like raise your rates. And you were talking some trash about needing more money. We didn't, we're not interested. That's a lot more work for us. We're a lot of headache. We don't actually want to pay you more money. So we're going to hire someone new, pay them nothing until they burn out by start, start mm-hmm. asking for more money. We're going to hire someone new until they burn out. Like it's, it's a factory. Yeah. And the turnover rate in that unit alone was ridiculous. Mm. Not to mention the rest of the hospital. The whole hospital couldn't keep staff. I never saw the same person from environmental services three times. Like it was a common issue, but like in that unit alone, they had turned over their whole staff at least twice since I started there. Mm -hmm. I mean, you had some that hung in there, but the original staff that was there when we started, there was two of them left. Do you still feel like there's something wrong with you for not being able to stay, for not staying there and working there? I battle a lot back and forth, like, because there are so many people that I thought would have stood up with me that are still there working through it. I'm like, I'm obviously the problem. But then I think about it as I don't deserve that. I'm better than that. And I'm worth more than that. Right. Like your patients truly do deserve more than that. And all of your colleagues deserve more than that too. And Honestly, it's really sad. They don't see that. It's really sad. They've been bullied into a place of believing that this is just the way it is. And this is how you treat people. I feel super sad for them. I feel angry that people had you be the voice for the floor. And then when you would stand up, they didn't have your back. That is some bullshit. That is fucked. I mean, that is fucked so bad, but I am so sad that they have been bullied to a place where they literally can't even see their own worth. That guts me. Yeah, it's pitiful. Mm. It's really pitiful because like I said, the staff that we had there at the point when I left, we were in a good place. We as a unit, as nurses, we're a family. We took care of each other. We had it going on. We could get into an emergency situation and everything was taken care of. We had great teamwork. And we had worked so hard in three and a half years to get to that place that I kind of feel like I let my team down by quitting. Mm. But at the same time, if you wanted me to stay, 
you should have been ready to stand beside me as your spokesperson to combat the issues that are there. Yeah. It sounds like you realized that you weren't receiving what you were giving and that's, that's not healthy. You don't take that shit from your friends. You don't take that shit from your partner. You don't take that shit from your family. And then you go to work and you're like, I drain everything I have for what? And that's, that it sounds like you're, you're kind of like processing, grieving, figuring it out. You have these, like the devil angel on your shoulders of internal talk. And that all can be resolved. That's all fixable. That's all therapy is a wonderful drug. (laughs) Like you said, you know what you need. You need a distance. And you will have a different perspective with distance and then with whatever modalities that you add on to that healing as you continue, it sounds like you're, you're battling with the perspectives that you're able to see now and kind of, you know, you're looking back at your friends that didn't have your back. And I I hope that it's, you feel some feelings of validation because what you're telling us is you're mistreated by a lot of people. And when your manager doesn't call you and treat you like a human, to me, I would hope my friend would feel validated as like proof. Like I knew that bitch was not for me. I knew she didn't have my back. I knew that like if shit really did hit the fan and you needed support or you needed help or like worse things even happened than the stories you already told us, where would you be then with management and your team not not standing up for you and not supporting you when you needed it because you know damn well you would be there for them because you're a human and you're a nurse and that's you know what you do and you see a need there. But they were they were not they were not doing it for you. So I hope that you if if it matters that we think that that it's validating and you are mistreated then we will tell you over and over and over we think that (laughs) you are mistreated and it sounds like you're beginning this giant new chapter that when you talk about it you smile (laughs) so that's good (laughs) yeah that's promising and exciting and it's good to feel validated too because like even the friends I do have that I still talk to that are there, like they have a little bit of a hard time understanding what I'm feeling and going through. And I realize not everybody has the ability to just up and quit their job. Like, thankfully I had that ability to just be like, I'm done here with or without a plan. I'm done here. And I know a lot of people don't have that and that's why they stay. And that's why they can't speak up and that kind of stuff, but nothing is worth my peace nothing is worth my patient's safety and nothing is worth stealing the joy out of what is the birthing world because it is, it's a joyful experience. And if I can't contribute to that, I don't want to be in it right now. Yeah. And I can't. So Maddie, this has been so powerful. Okay. I have two final wrap up questions and they're just like rapid fire, whatever comes to your mind first. So my first question is 
if you had a magic wand and you could fix only one thing, so think about one thing that you could change that would have the most impact at your toxic hospital, what would that one thing be? Would it be firing one person? Would it be mending a relationship? What would it be? Cleaning house for management, upper, yeah. middle, all of that clean house. Love it. it. That will be so, so pivotal. Okay. So my second question is when you think about that joy in your life right now, leaving bedside, all the things that are at your fingertips, what is the thing that like gives you the most joy about your new endeavors and where you are in this space in life right now? This is going to sound silly, but being home every night by five 30 to cook dinner, help my son do his homework, all that kind of stuff. You have a baby. Yeah, he's five. He started kindergarten. Mm -hmm. And we have homework in kindergarten. So I know. That I took too. You know what? I left the hospital. No one's going to give my baby homework in kindergarten. (laughs) Watch me take over this kindergarten. (laughs) Oh my goodness. That's the best part. I want to be home every night at a decent hour before bedtime. Usually, you know, you get off at 7.15. You're done charting by 7.30. Mm. And then you get home and it's bedtime. So um, awesome. Looking forward to it. Thanks so for sharing with us, Maddie. Yeah. This Thanks was awesome. Oh my goodness, yeah. you guys. If you have your own story of toxic work environment or hospital hierarchy or stories that you think people could benefit from hearing from the inside of the walls of hospitals, you can check us out on Instagram at pulsecheck.podcast or you can send us an email of your story. Wait, yeah, they can now record a little blurb. <gasps> OMG, you're right. You can actually leave us a voicemail and you don't have to be like a live guest. And we're going to start taking voicemails and sharing them on the podcast so that we can share your stories and also dissect them and hopefully spread the word on how we can all help make small changes to our very broken healthcare system to chip away at a a better future for all of us and better patient outcomes, better patient safety, better treatment of all of our healthcare professionals. All right, you guys. Now, until we see you next time, (laughs) goodbye. Bye. Thanks for joining us today. We wanted to leave you with a quick stat and something to think about until we see you next time. According to a 2018 report from the National Academies of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine, the prevalence of sexual harassment in academic medicine is almost double that of other science and engineering specialties. This presents a serious danger that ripples into patient safety, clinical outcomes, and burnout, which leads to costly loss of talent. How much safer could medicine be if nurses and physicians weren't also battling sexual harassment day in and day out? If you or anyone you know has a story to share, please contact us on Instagram at pulsecheck.podcast. We'd love to share your story.